Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and calling in from the road is my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on? Ah, I'm pretty good. I'm sitting shirtless in the band bus right now in Atlanta, Georgia. I had to turn off the air conditioning, <laughs> uh, so it's kind of hot, but uh, it's, it's all good. It's, things are going well. Last weekend of the tour, and uh, then I'll be home. Nice. Well, speaking of hot, uh, this is actually part two in our Coachella series, the final chapter. We're going to be speaking with Glass Animals, Elliot Lefko, and Bishop Briggs. Uh, but yeah, so uh, one of the great things about going to Coachella is Top Man hooked us up with all sorts of great stuff. You can shop new jeans from Top Man with eight essential fits from skinny and slim to straight and new wide leg. And uh, yeah, we want to thank them because they hooked us up with so much great shit. Top Man uh, is making us look fly. I've been wearing a lot of the stuff on tour with the Arkells. And every night people go, where'd you get that shirt? Where'd you get that jacket? Where'd you get those fly <laughs> white denim shorts? And I say, I got the spot just for you. And special shout out to Jess, who is the personal shopper at the downtown location for Top Shop and Top Man. She, uh, you know, when you're kind of walking into a situation and you're like, man, I wish I had some guidance here. I wish I had like a calming presence to, to guide me through uh, this new experience of, uh, yeah. know, of buying lots of new clothing. Jess, it was just that for us. So thank you, Jess, for taking care of us and making us look good. So if you're ever in downtown Toronto, go by the top man and say hi to Jess because she's awesome. Yes. Do it. Uh, so you've been on the road. Max, any stories? Anything good cooking out there? What's the deal? Well, it's been good. Uh, we played in Raleigh, North Carolina last night, and uh, there's a song called uh, f- from like the early 2000s by a rapper named Petey Pablo from North Carolina, and the lyric is, North Carolina, right, rise up, take your shirt off, and wave it around your head just like a helicopter. And uh, <laughs> I managed to insert those lyrics into Knocking at the Door because we have a Rise Up part <laughs> in our song. And the locals fucking yeah. loved it. The locals like... Oh, they, they, they loved it. They picked up on it right away. Oh, big time. And then also uh, Raleigh is also the home of Duke University. And uh, so in our song Private School, I managed to take many shots at um, Duke University and the locals who probably resent the Duke University pompous students. They especially <laughs> love that. And um, the interesting thing about touring down here is I think for the most part, you can make fun of Trump as much as you want if you're the kind of person that comes to an Arkells concert. Um, But there's been a few strange looks when I've made some Trump Trump jokes on the mic. So, for instance, in Book Club, uh, our song, there's a there's a part, a falsetto part where we encourage the crowd to go. Oh man, my voice is really haggard right now. <laughs> is that an angel? <laughs> yeah, and then and I get the whole crowd to do it, and uh, and then I said, "There's been a scientific journal that just came out that said when a gra- when a group of people sing falsetto together in unison with joy in their heart, Donald Trump gets a headache." <laughs> and, and and people uh, people I think liked it, but I looked around the room. I'm always scanning. And every night there's a few people that are looking at me funny. So, you know, anyway, sensitive times down here in America. You got to tread carefully, tread lightly if you uh, are going to make any Trump-related jokes. I'll say that. It's pretty brave of you. You could, be, you could be polarizing. Yeah, but you know, one thing I'll say is that our bus driver, his name is D.W. Spittler. He lives in Tallahassee, Florida. And he is, <laughs> he's the most charming Southerner you could ever hope for. And every morning... Uh, once the bus pulls up because the bus drives through the night and he, he's, he's getting ready to go to the hotel to get some sleep, I come out of the bunk and I say, good morning, DW. And he goes, good morning, Max. Welcome to Kansas City or wherever we are. And then I say, what do we know about Kansas City, DW? 
He goes, well, you see, Kansas City was a cattle trading post in the middle 1800s because, you see, the train didn't go far enough, and so people in Texas had to come up to Kansas City to sell the cattle. So every morning I get a history lesson uh, in American history, and D.W. is just about like the smartest and most gracious storyteller that I know. So one of the nice parts about touring is getting to meet people from all around the country. And uh, I, Does this end with D.W. being a Trump supporter? No, the, here's the thing. DW, oh, that's where I thought you were going with this. No, no, no. Actually, you know, if he was a Trump supporter, I'd still love the man because you once you get to, as we were talking about on the last episode, once you get to know somebody, you can appreciate them even if the, the, you have some differences in maybe your politics. So anyway, uh, shouts to DW who's getting us around this country safe and sound and uh, who does it all with a smile on his face. Because I will say this, to be a driver, like kind of a truck driver, uh, which is, I think, what he used to be, and now he's been driving buses for a long time. Uh, at least the ones that we've encountered in the past are definitely a certain personality type, and sometimes maybe a, a little bit on the otter side of things. DW, like, is literally the most charming man. Uh, like, he just makes everybody feel so good. He's got a great laugh, um, and he's just a, a pleasure to be around. So uh, we we got one of the best. Uh, tour bus drivers i think in north america so so thank you to d-dub speaking of um getting to know people better and maybe uh overcoming your differences i was with my brother last night we went and saw guardians of the galaxy and he told me that our friend dan sent you a scathing email in anger about us talking about him uh, and the heineken ad on the pod last week <laughs> that's right he did uh dan uh, felt like he was misrepresented on the podcast and his uh his view on why he didn't like the Heineken ad and why he thought it didn't really, uh, well, how would you describe why Dan was mad? Would you say? I didn't see the email. I don't know what his grievance okay, was. Okay. Okay. He felt like, uh, did he feel like he wasn't, um, that his argument wasn't captured properly? Okay. Let, let, let me, okay. I, I have the text here. I'll pull it up right now. He goes, by the way, you presented mine and DZ's, that's Mike D, argument, uh, and by you, I mean the pod in general was super annoying, the, the way we did it. You need to present our arguments half decently if you're going to talk about it. It wasn't until the very end when you somewhat talked about the real reasoning behind it. Shane clearly still doesn't get it at all why we didn't appreciate the ad. <laughs> Fine to disagree, but present our points properly. Even, even Greg mentioned how terribly our views were presented. That's, I think you're saying that's a lot for Greg. Sorry, it annoyed me a lot yesterday, but I wanted to message when I had calmed down. I listened while I was super tired, so I was extra annoyed. And then he goes, he just continues to write, and sorry, I'm actually annoyed at the way Shane described it, and I'm putting the onus on you to correct him earlier, as I know you understood our points. Anyway, so I called Dan, because when you're in one of these conflicts with your friends, sometimes it's better to uh, hash it out over the phone, and I told him that it was a failure on my part, as a producer of the show, to not represent the other side of the opinion, and I told him that I wouldn't be able to articulate his points as good as he probably wanted to. So I kind of stayed away from it. Man, the pod is apologizing a lot lately. <laughs> I know. This is what happens. Well, speaking of apologies, um, something happened to me last night at the show in Nashville where this, this kid came up to me and said, hey, I'm so-and-so. Remember? And then I kind of like looked at him somewhat blankly. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I meet a lot of people, so this kind of happens to me fairly often. Now, it turns out this kid uh, was a finalist in a the CBC Searchlight competition for, like, best new Canadian act that I judged. But keep in mind, this was about, I think, two or two years ago or three years ago. And I, wow. didn't, I didn't really spend too much time thinking about the acts, to be honest. Like, I just, like, kind of did a quick, you know, once over. And I was like, okay, I kind of like this. I like this. 
I was filmed giving my opinion. I've never done this sort of thing before. And I think what I said about this one particular candidate was I was like, you know, he's clearly good looking and he's clearly singing these songs, these sort of folk acoustic rock songs that girls are going to go nuts for. So I'm not voting for him only because I know he's going to turn out okay. But I think I said it in a way that was maybe kind of condescending a little bit. Anyway. Like dismissive? Yeah, a little dismissive. And anyway, he came to the show last night in Nashville. I think he's like living in Nashville now. <laughs> and I don't, know, I don't think he was that annoyed uh, with me. I think he was just sort of happy that he was recognized in the first place and that I was talking about his songs and his work. But it did make me think about the idea of talking shit in a public forum and how as much as I want to do it, I just know I shouldn't because these things are going to happen because I literally the day before there was a hot button issue in Hamilton about the LRT and I was sort of making fun of the old mayor, Bob Bertina for chiming in. He kind of had a dumb editorial in my opinion and I tweeted about it and I said, it's an odd time for old Bobby to be chiming, to be offering himself a pat on the back but maybe he's the master uh, unifier and we just don't know his like skills or something like that. Basically, because his argument was when I was the mayor, everything was great. And now everything in Hamilton sucks. That was more or less his argument. So anyway, okay. I tweeted that and I just realized that Bob Bertina is a neighbor of mine. Like he lives around the corner <laughs> and I'm a pretty recognizable figure in Hamilton. So I'm kind of worried. So you're going to run into him, man. I'm going to run into him. And I, and you know what? Apparently he rides the go buses and is, and is a really nice guy. <laughs> he just happened to write kind of a silly editorial. So Mike, what do you think? And you're my friend. Um, so you can offer me some guidance here. What do you think should be my, my stance when it comes to talking shit publicly? Should I just stay out of it? Is that not on brand for max? Or do you think I should stir the pot a little bit more? What do you think? I, I think, obviously, the safe move is always to say nothing. But who <laughs> likes safe? I think, I think in order to be authentic and your truest self, I think you should share your opinions. You know, you don't have to be over... When you say talking shit, you know, you don't have to uh, be unnecessarily unkind. But, man, share away. People want to hear your opinions, you know? And I think if you hold back, we're all missing out. And you're missing out on, like, a, a cathartic uh, avenue to sort of uh, express yourself. Okay, I got another one then for you. So another, I normally don't like to, like, rank. I only, if I'm going to talk about music on Twitter, I'm only going to talk about stuff I like, and I'm never going to cut anything down. I made an exception to the rule on Twitter earlier in the week uh, because... Who'd you cut down? I, I, well, I was ranking the members of One Direction and their solo projects. Ooh. <laughs> And so, and by the way, who would have bet on Nile to 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 pull ahead of uh, Harry and Zayn, right? Man, Jesus Christ, that song by Nile is fucking amazing. I'm not just saying that because I probably will pass him in the hallway at the 2017 iHeartRadio MMVAs, which the Arkells are playing. Yeah, boy, which and, you're performing and at. And uh, Nile's also performing. But it makes me think, like, if I meet Harry Styles, because in the tweet I put Harry in last place, which actually I'm going to get to that <laughs> because his album is actually pretty good. It came out today, and the singles are the worst part about it. Like, the rest of the album is actually pretty interesting, in my opinion. Um, but it makes me think, if I meet Harry Styles one time, like, I don't know, if I'm at a party or at the MMBAs in another year, like, I'm definitely just going to start kissing his ass. Like, there's no way I'm, like... I'm going to, like, admit that I was ever talking shit to him, which which kind of makes me lesser of a person, right? 
Well, here's the thing. I think you can also dislike someone's music and get along with them. Like, you don't have to tell them whether you like or dislike their music. You can still, you know, it'd be it'd be disingenuous of you to be like, Harry, oh my God, I love the single. Yeah, when you sure. so clearly do not. But if you're like, hey, Harry, like, I'm a big fan, I think that would be a true statement. Yeah, that's You fair. have great hair. You know, you can focus on the things that you do like that, about Harry. That you like, and maybe maybe we'll have a bond. And maybe he'll, maybe he'll like me more for telling him. Tell it to him straight. Hey, but speaking of which, Mike, I have another producer idea. Um, there's an awesome pop culture writer named Ann T. Donahue. She's in Toronto, like slash Cambridge, but she's written for like MTV. She has a piece in Esquire. She she listens to the pod. She she wrote me on Facebook, and she oh, wow. is a hell of a writer and talks all. She basically has the conversation about pop stars like Ariana Grande or One Direction. Like in the way that we do, like with or if Dan Hamilton is having a conversation about like, you know, the the One Direction rankings, and we need to have her on the <laughs> podcast because I think we need to do an official like one D podcast where we talk about all their solo careers and then who we like the best. So so let's do it. So I'm down. We're gonna do that coming up, uh, Mike. How much listeners? Uh, Mike, do you have any experiences uh, talking shit and uh, having a bite you in the ass afterward? No, I don't think so. I I tend to like. I'm sure I'm I mean I don't think so I don't think I've ever like you know was at a party talking shit about somebody and then it got back to them anything I would pretty much say I think I would say to the person if I'm gonna like you know if I'm gonna have an opinion uh but if I have had an opinion sort of behind someone's back I guess they never found out about it because I can't think of a time specifically where someone was like you said this about me yeah I guess in the rankings of uh, social shit disturbers for the three of us on the pod Shane is definitely number one, as we learned last week. <laughs> I feel like every week he might say something that yeah. upsets somebody. <laughs> I'm probably number two, uh, and and you're uh, you, you know you're a professional. You stay out of the fray. Uh, <laughs> I try. A good thing. I try. I have a I have a no comment uh, on Facebook rule. I don't care how how angry or polarizing somebody. Like if somebody posts something, like their thoughts, I never get involved in like the comments and the back and forth. Although I read them with a bucket of popcorn. Uh, <laughs> Um, all right, Maxie, this is the uh, this is the Coachella episode. Uh, I think we're going to get to these interviews. How'd you feel about these interviews? How'd you feel about our time there and all of our fly top man gear? Well, a couple things. We, we have Bishop Briggs on the show again. She's probably one of the first repeat guests. And uh, I'm going to be seeing her tomorrow at, at um, Shaking Knees Music Festival in Atlanta, where we're both playing. So Oh, cool. So that'll be fun. Uh, she's obviously a delight. We had Elliot Lefko, who is one of the guys responsible for putting on Coachella and booking the festival every year. So if you like to see how the sausage is made or peeling back the onion, uh, that fat chat, I thought was, uh, I thought that chat was fascinating because, you know, you really got a sense of what is important to him as a festival promoter and what's important to Coachella as, as a thing. And we also had glass animals, uh, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, who had one of the highlights set of the weekend for me, at least. Um, and, uh, Dave is an incredibly thoughtful, charming yes. British accent. He yeah. was performing with a cast on. Yeah. It was pretty miraculous. This first interview with, uh, with Dave from glass animals, um, was our very first interview of all of Coachella. And we were kind of in a rush to try and get our wristbands and meet him on time. It was a bit of a cluster. Oh, man. Uh, and um, we kind of just got in there in time to interview him, kind of like sweat-drenching, trying to set up. Uh, yeah, and then we, we tried to settle in and have a good conversation. Yeah, it was one of those times where there is a little disorganization on the producer's fault. Uh, sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> and we were running late. And the interview was sort of a favor in the first place because Class Animals uh, also participate in Plus One, which is a charity that the Arkells are involved in. 
So they were kind of going out of their way to accommodate us, and we were late like a bunch of f***ing assholes. But it was, uh, <laughs> it was definitely kind of But we t- made it. We, we made it. It was a tense car ride. Uh, but we we got the interview, and then we did what we always do after we've pulled off an interview that was stressful. We hugged it out, and it was great. You and I hugged it out. We did hug it out. Yeah. Okay, you want to get to the uh, the interviews? Let's do the damn thing. And by the way, the set last week was so fucking good. I never seen you guys play. It was awesome. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, we we're a bit kind of like. I liked you being carried out onto the stage. That was, good. that was a good move. I admire that move. But as soon as I got on stage, I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to jump around. Yeah, you got to go. Gotta go for it. All right, well, you're ruining the first question. Sorry, Maxie, boy. It Uh-oh. It's all good. Uh, you've been having a good time, though, so far? Yeah, it's been amazing. Well, one of the big uh, stories of Weekend One was your foot cast. Was it a big story? It was. Was it? People were talking yeah, about it. Yeah, that's not hyperbole at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are all sorts of rumors going around. All right, well, set the yeah. record straight. Can you describe straight. how, where... The correct know. rumor is <laughs> that I genuinely was saving a baby from a bear. Wow. Yeah. Well, when I ran into you in the dark, uh, but probably midnight that night, you told me it was an MMA fight. Oh, uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship. Yeah. With a baby. With a baby. Yeah. Yeah, I was fighting a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, you want a nice, easy victory. <laughs> That's the best way to play it. Damn, Matt, no, uh, you caught me. Yeah. I've been trying to say something different every single time. <laughs> I've done them all. I've done like slips and a banana peel. But genuinely, I, I just walked backwards off a stage. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was really stupid. Uh, were you supposed to come back on the stage or was the show over at that point? I, it was the first song. First oh. song, I walked off and then finished the show. Not thinking, like it didn't really hurt. I guess there's a lot of adrenaline and stuff. But, sure. Uh, it, my foot kind of went numb, you know, like pins and needles kind of thing when your arm falls asleep or something. Kind of did that. Where was the gig? Uh, South America, Chile. Santiago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. What's like the medical uh, resources there available to you? You know what? It was amazing. Right. I had what the doctor on site looked at me and he was like, oh, your foot's fine. You're going to be fine in three days. Back to normal. Just like go walk around. So I went around, I started like walking around, having a party because it was the last day of the festival. Um, and then my manager called me up and she's like, Dave, I heard you fell off the stage. Go get a damn x-ray. Uh-huh. And I was like, nah, I'm having fun. <laughs> um, so uh, she, I think she kind of went around me and called my mum, and my uh, <laughs> you got a talking to, and my mum was like, "Go get an X-ray." Uh, um, so I went to get an X-ray, and sure enough, they they were bloody right. Fracture? It's fractured. Yeah, that bone at the back of your foot, that heel bone, is just broken in half. Uh, oh. Well, you finished the show, so yeah. you finished that one, and then did you start to feel the pain later? And I guess furthermore, were there any discussions like we're gonna have to cancel dates? Like, were you immediately like, oh shit? That was the when I first heard it was fractured. Yeah, it was like that heart sinking. Like, oh man, we're gonna have to cancel everything. And then about an hour after that, I was like, okay, this is kind of you know, it's almost an opportunity to do something different. Like, I can make a throne. Yeah, the or, Dave Grohl throne. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was like getting all ready to like tweet Dave Grohl, but yeah. um, in the end we had this idea to get like carried around by these two henchmen. Um, so they, yeah, we kind of did it a little bit at Coachella, but I, I'm a bit more mobile than I thought I would be. You're hopping around pretty good on one leg, I gotta say. Yeah, yeah a couple Tylenols and I'm, yeah. I'm all right. I'm <laughs> you're rolling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, does it ever start to ache? Like when you're hopping around, you're kind of like, or it's just it keeps you. You go all the way. When through. the adrenaline's going, it's fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. It aches sometimes after the show, like when I'm going to bed, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, but mm-hmm. it's been all right. Yeah, shifting more to the music, you know, it feels really relevant. You know how you guys combine electronic hip hop sensibilities, and you sort of bridge between you know indie rock, dance music, 
what's your typical sort of like crowd demo at a Glass Animals show? And how conscious are you of your fans when you're making your music? Um, we get a huge range of people at shows. Yeah, old, young, children, everything. And you, you also get, we get some like, I don't know, people wearing all black. You get people wearing almost nothing. You get people, yeah, so much, everything. Sounds like an eclectic group. It's amazing, yeah. And there's always someone at the back doing like fire poi. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's nuts, but it's brilliant. And um, everyone seems to get along for the most part. We've had a few fights. Um, Are you one of those guys that from the stage you'll call it out and be like, settle it down? Sometimes, yeah, if I see it. I don't often see it because I kind of get into my own world a bit. Yeah. Um, and the lights are obviously in my eyes. But we've had a couple like a couple people who had to be tasered. And, yeah, in Detroit, we had a bad, a bad fight. Um, in Australia, we just came from Australia. There's a bad fight there as well. There's wow. a great Canadian um, front man named Gord Downey, and he, he fronts a band called The Tragically Hip. And he says, oh, yeah. and he has some sort of rowdy beer-drinking fans who sometimes make asses of themselves. And, but he's kind of a serious, poetic guy, and he says... If this is the reason why you've come to the show, you have severely missed the point. That's <laughs> like that's the way he's. Yeah, it's such a good. I use it too. You gotta buy it. it. Steal it. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. I'm gonna nick yeah. it. You've missed the point, my friend. Yeah. That's not what this like is about. That. I like that mentality, yeah. but I don't. I don't understand why it happens. Our music's relatively like chill. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. Like you mentioned, this eclectic group that comes to your shows. Like, are you conscious of that now? Like when you're writing, that you're like, oh my goodness, we're gonna sort of. Uh, no. When you're writing music, you kind of. I don't know. I try to forget about every single thing except for what's the music. Right. Yeah. It's, you, you can't try and second guess what people are going to like or anything like that. Have you ever written, ever written anything where you're like, oh, that's a little bit left of what we normally do, and maybe I should get a little bit more closer to what we've done in the past? No, I tend to be pretty open. Um, but I, with Glass Animals stuff, at least, I have to kind of push it through the filter that is the other three guys. That's what I'm getting. Okay. So I, I, you know, I write a lot of stuff and then some of it gets through because um, they have very particular tastes. It's like a yeah, a certain kind of shaped sieve that it has to get through. Are you guys a, sort of a pure democracy in that way? Where uh, I don't know. I just, you'd have to ask the other guys that. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'd probably say I'm quite controlling in the studio. I don't know. I, There's yeah. an old saying that it's, it's like compromise killed the band. The, the idea being that if you let everybody have sort of an equal voice, you don't you might not get the best product. You almost need like a yeah. leader to... I, I think you can end up with something pretty bland if, that's, if that happens. The one thing I'll say though is that it's such a fine line because sometimes you want like the drummer pushing for his thing because if he, you didn't have that hard-headed g- g- guy pushing for a particular part, then it might be too focused on whatever the lead singer's sens- sensibility is. Yeah. Like Sometimes I appreciate the fact, because it was up to me in Arkell's I, maybe the drums wouldn't be as loud because I don't really care about loud drums. But yeah. because our drummer likes loud drums, Tim, you mix them up. He, uh, yeah, and yeah. it actually I think objectively makes the band better. It's like that sort of push and pull between all the members. Yeah. So it's a, so it's, so you still have to get their blessings, even Definitely. though you yeah, might yeah. have a bigger say. If they feel strongly about something, yeah, I'll like I'll and that contributes it. and it makes it not the day project makes it glass animals. Right? Yeah, 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 of course. No, but I, I like loud drums. No, no, me I too. Like, I like records to sound like it's mixed by the drummer's dad. Like, <laughs> well, you know, bang so it. Loud. Yeah. The example I think about is because I love I love the Killers and I love Brandon Flowers and he I love his solo records. But I've noticed. Have you ever listened to his solo records? No, I haven't. They're really great, actually. Really the, la- the last one, Ariel Reichstag, uh, the guy oh, who yeah. did uh, a bunch of like Heim and a bunch of cool records. He he produced it. Oh, and cool. The drums just like aren't quite as in your face. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, oh, that's because 
the drummer wasn't he wasn't there wasn't there going mm-hmm. yeah come on give my shit louder mm-hmm. and and it kind yeah. of misses a bit of the killer's balls anyway uh, I just think that yeah, yeah. No, there's, a, there's a, yeah kind of a balance in there somewhere for sure okay you pr- probably gotta go yeah do, do thank you for talking well I mean sure? uh, well, if there's anything I'm I'm down, oh, oh Shane's here Shane did you have a question this is our friend Shane <laughs> he's been yeah. saying very quietly yeah He's-I uh, won a contest I was just wondering <laughs> how cool is it to be at Coachella <laughs> how cool is it it is like so hot um, <laughs> it's, there's nothing cool about this weather right now it, you walk outside and you just start dripping uh, you took it literal I took it pretty literal I yeah I, I like Coachella. It's so different to the festivals we have in England um, that is, yeah, I, I just treat it as a different thing. It's an entire, I have to kind of embrace it for what it is, which is a very clean, proper, everyone is The UK festival is just raining. Every time I see Glastonbury or Reading, it's raining. Like, yeah, people just... are setting fire to things. People are covered in mud. Yeah. Like people are throwing glass at the police. Um, and now here, everyone's on their best behavior. It's great. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, cool. We really appreciate thanks it. And sorry we had to run in here a little late. You're, oh, uh, it's no problem. We really appreciate you hanging no out. One all of right. our, uh, we all live in Hamilton, and uh, one of our friends studied at Oxford for, oh, for se- seven years. And he, like, lived there. It's and a like, long time. Yeah. He yeah. has, like, a degree in, like, Eastern European history. But he loves yeah. you guys. And, he, oh, and he, he's been singing your praises since before. Shout out for Matt Savelli. Yeah, Matt Savelli. The doctor. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a doc. The professor. Yeah, he's a professor. The doc. There's yeah, a lot of those in Oxford, yeah. Right. Jump into this. Let's thing. jump. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah do let's do it. Let's do it. Questions. Is my hat okay? It's like not too dark or no. Oh, we're not filming anyway. No, this is an audio format. Audio. You don't have no to worry about it. it. Yeah. Elliot storms out. He's like, "You told me I could wear my good hat for this." <laughs> I'm so pissed off. <laughs> I kind of want to start with how does one get into your line of work? You know, maybe uh, bring us back to to a little bit of the beginning and how you found yourself here. Well, personally, I was I've been a concert promoter since I was like well, I actually started in when I was like probably 15 years old in junior high school. Yeah. And I remember I used to go to gigs in uh, our city stadium and see Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and the band. And I used to go see uh, Frank Zappa. And, and I always, was, you know, a lot of people kind of go and watch. and say, That's kind of cool. But I always watch like, the guys on stage and who's moving things around. And and then I'd go home and I, I'd take the reviews in the newspaper and I'd have a scrapbook. Instead of hockey cards, I'd have like, concert reviews <laughs> oh steely dan you know and I, and I know and so really fast i knew all the statistics of the bands and the people behind the scenes and the record stores and you're fascinated the, by the machine of it all it seems yeah fascinated by the machine and i i knew like those i always knew what i wanted to do like if i my parents are going oh you should do this or you should do that i always knew though that i was going to be a concert promoter and then uh when i uh i used to bring musicians into my school i was really influenced by the 60s and uh, the uh, 60s scene in Toronto with like the Yorkville. Jerry Mitchell, Neil Young. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff was really important to me. And uh, I said, when it's my turn, I'm going to go do this kind of thing. So uh, I just started to do it on my own, really. And I was promoting in Toronto and I used my own money. And then I, I promote gigs in Hamilton and, and I'd have a little circuit like Toronto, Hamilton, London, Montreal. And I'd promote bands, and I'd bring bands in from the U.S. But I wasn't bringing in R.E.M., but I'd bring in, like, the Fuzz Tones or sure. I'd work with the Gruesomes. And i worked with a lot of Canadian bands over the years from, like, Vancouver and Montreal. And and just and then one day I had a, a gig. That a friend of mine, his father owned a hotel, the Silver Dollar Hotel, the 
And um, he said, you want to book bands there? And it was like this scuzzy, bad place. But I went against the type and started bringing in really good bands for like the Pixies and I had a really good time. And and then there was always like the man. The man was like this concert productions international in Toronto. And uh, they would bring in all the groups to their Maple Leaf Gardens. And I was guy on the street though, but I'd get like all the good bands. I'd get the Red Hot Chili Peppers for the first gig. Cool, I'd get cool. Nirvana for the first gig. Yeah. And um, and then they would always come in and get it away from me because they were too big. And I'd get on to the next one. And I'd always go and I'd say like, you should hire me. Because I was making no money. If I could have like $10 to buy like a piece of hash and eat, I was happy. <laughs> that's all you I needed. Could, that's all you wanted. I yeah, would like man. trade my records in to buy, buy dope or a burger. Yeah. And they never would hire me for some reason. And then eventually I got hired by a, an American company came to Canada. And they hired me. That's all the work you were doing. Yeah, and I just kept that. ever since then. And then uh, I worked for a long time in Canada. And then about uh, 12 years ago, I had an opportunity to come to L.A. to work for this company, Golden Voice, who put on the Coachella Music Festival. And they're like the original punk promoter in Los Angeles. And so while I was working in Toronto, the Parallel Universe, they were doing that in L.A. And so we'd do Bad Religion or the Chili's or all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then they, uh, they, want, they wanted to hire me. And... Uh, and I wanted to come here, so I came to work here. And that was around the same time as Coachella started. Yeah. So Coachella started. There was uh, Pearl Jam were looking to play a gig, and they didn't want to use regular venues that were had Ticketmaster because they were fighting with Ticketmaster. So the two principals of this company, Golden Voice, Paul Tillette and Rick Van Santen, they were driving around and saw the polo field. They said this would be a great place for a concert, and they uh, Pearl Jam played here with a few guests. And at the time, I was living in Toronto. And I came down to see that gig because I was trying to work with Pearl Jam at the time. And I came here and I stayed at like the uh, the really cool Mexican hotel near here. And it was just like, it was so beautiful. It was just so big. And yeah, that's sort of where the uh, the beginning of the uh, Coachella started with that concert. And then um, what happened was when the concert was over, it was successful. And then the Paul and Rick, the guy who won Golden Voice, they saw these festivals in England like Glastonbury and all those kind of festivals. And they wanted to do something like that here. So they put the first one on, and the first one was like Rage Against Machine, uh, Beck, yeah, everybody, the yeah. you know, Beasties. And the festival was such a disaster that the company went bankrupt wow. because of that festival. And it was because there were no other festivals at the time. Like now, as you guys know, there's like thousands of festivals in North America. At the time, there were zero. It's the first one. And people didn't get the idea that you'd come out and spend a weekend. So the company, AEG, the parent company, bought Golden Voice. And uh, they gave them the funds to continue. Yeah. And uh, it took a number of years to get catch on with people. But the year of like Coldplay, uh, sorry, Radiohead was the first year. And that it kind of got over the hump. People really liked it. And then electronic music started to get really big. And after that, the festival found its footing. And we're here where we are today in a successful festival. Yeah. Well, this festival, I mean, this will end. How quickly do you start thinking about the next uh, festival? Do you start booking it? Do you start sort of prepping? Well, you uh, you always start uh, thinking all the time. So all the time you're thinking like this year, next year. You're thinking like two years ahead. Your mind's already on. Oh, yeah. Not next year, but even the year after that. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, that's, you know, now with so much competition that what makes Coachella different than a lot of rest, other uh, festivals is that it's so progressive. That's why it's famous for like, reuniting bands, getting the bands for the first time, that yeah. kind of thing. So you're trying to think that kind of thing. And then everyone's coming to you. Like, you get like 5,000 requests for like sure. the 300 slots. And then Paul, the guy who books the festival, 
He goes around to festivals around the world. He goes around to all the agents, all the managers, goes visits them and says, okay, what do you want? Who do you want on the festival? Everybody makes their pitch. And he gets this long, long list of, say, a couple thousand. And then he narrows that down. And then how do people get on? Well, if Radiohead want to play, obviously they're on. Or if, uh, you know, Beyonce wants to play, they're on. And then the middle bands, like Kaleo or uh, Bastille or whoever, all these other guys, it just depends on, like, what kind of music do you have coming out? You listen to what other people say about it, what's the buzz? And then you take a shot on a, a few younger bands, and then you try to mix up the music, too, so it's not, like, all white music, right? Yeah. So you want to have, like, rap bands. You want to have electronic bands. And you don't want to have it just be, like, rap and electronic, because you could do rap and electronic, and it'd be, like, so successful. But if you do that, then you're going to lose a lot of the audience. And then it's going to be like all the drugs with that, with, uh, that electronic music. That are associated with that. Sure, sure. Yeah, because, you know, um, knock on wood, the <laughs> festival has been pretty safe here. You mentioned Beyonce. Describe the sort of scene in the office when you guys find out Beyonce drops out. Yeah, so it's one of those rare circumstances where something like that happens. And then you think... If she wants to do the gig, she could still do the gig. Maybe she could find a way of doing it by sitting down or something. But it was like, okay, we're going to get a phone call at some point. We got a phone call. She can't do it. Then what do you do? So you have two choices to like, you can just do nothing, do something, do something really great. In our case, it was like, do something really great. You know, call up Gaga right away and just say like, you got to do this. Another interesting story was the year that Black Sabbath were supposed to play here. And the... One of the musicians got cancer and couldn't Jesus. perform. So one of the dreams of our festival was always to get Dr. Dre to play here uh, with Snoop Dogg and to like you know reunite that type of music, that band, because they were so big in terms of Los Angeles culture. Yeah. And um, they always said no. Nah. So that one, when Black Sabbath canceled, Paul, the guy who books festival, he drove up to uh, Dr. Dre's house and um, went to said, speak to him personally and say, said, like, you, you know, I'm, I'm not leaving without you. Yeah. Here's a checkbook. <laughs> Fill it out and be kind. Yeah. That was it. Like, like name your price and we're making it happen. Just, yeah, we'll, we'll make it happen. And, you know, this is like, I, I, I need you to do it this time. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm in trouble here. I'm in real trouble. I think Dr. J looked at it and said, okay, you know, I get it. I get it. This is, you know, whatever the, the fate has chosen us all to be here today and we'll do it. We'll make it happen. And then, when they left, then they thought of that idea of the hologram. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back and how to do it. Because it's like the whole thing with Coachella is like, it's a moment in time, right? And how do you take your moment and make it really amazing? Yep. Because it's got to be fantastic. You know, um, I had a little moment in Toronto um, many, many years ago. I, I, I did this festival. It was probably like Edge Fest, but in the precursor, in the early, early days. And Sloan was breaking up. And I was. We I just booked, had Sloan on the pod, uh, Chris. Yeah, Murphy, so. so they're a great band. So this was like they were going to break up one year, and I, me and Dave Bookman were booking this festival, and Bookie. we <laughs> wanted to do this festival, and it was it was like the No Fat Festival. We didn't want to have any bad bands on the sure. festival, and it was like so many times I book festivals, and somebody'd say you got to put this on, you got to put that on as a favor. Anyways, just did the thing. It was really great, and this one band, uh, Joel Plaskett, was with his band. They That's were like a maxi Thrush Dave. Hermit. Thrush Hermit, and they did the show. They start off with a Steve Miller cover. Then he did another Steve Miller cover and another. And soon you realize they were going to take their biggest moment of their career and they were going to play a whole set of Steve Plus Miller tells covers. tells the story. Yeah. And it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. Because it's just like every other band is like, hey, we got this song, we got that song, how are you, Toronto? This, this guy, is just he put himself in another world, played the Steve Miller covers, everybody just at home.
Oh my God, it's like so great. Because this is the band that's playing just in a few minutes from now, Thundercat. And they've got that guy, Michael McDonald, who does, you know, What a Fool Believes. Yeah. yeah. He's going to sing with them and doing that. And you look around the audience and you look like, oh, this is so good. So beneath every cool, hip kind of person is, is a person who just like, they just want to hear like a hit on the radio that they knew like from. Makes them feel good. Makes them feel good. Everyone yeah. wants to really feel good. And sometimes you don't want to be so trendy and hip and hard. And you just want to feel good. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a nice thing. Max mentions, uh, you know, that you have a somewhat close relationship with Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. Is this true? Say that Is again? it true? Uh, Rivers. You're old friends with Rivers. Yeah, I'm really good friends with Rivers because I, I promoted uh, Weezer for such a long time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Rivers is a funny guy because he doesn't really talk. <laughs> you know, there's certain people like that who don't talk, and uh, he's one of those guys. He's just, I don't know if he's being shy or what the deal is, but, um, you know, he's um, a brilliant songwriter, and to write that many hits is really cool. But he's just like... Uh, He's just he's such an odd duck. But the sto- okay, the story I heard, yeah. I forget if who told who, Jack Ross or Chris Taylor, that you were out for dinner with them, and Rivers was texting you asking for suggestions on a set list advice for the, the upcoming Toronto show. Is that true? Is there a version of that that's true? Elliot <laughs> <laughs> just made a face for our listeners. I, um, you know, again, like um, whether it's um, old age or the amount of uh, dope I smoked when I was young, like sometimes <laughs> I'd have to plead that I don't really remember, okay? Well, what I guess the question is, what sort of like relationships do you have with bands you've been booking for a long time? With like, and talk about those relationships, right? Okay, with, with someone like Weezer or anybody else. Okay, well, you know, I, I've known you for a long time, and I've seen you. Like, I don't know, one time I remember seeing you on the on Sunset Strip when you were playing um, at that that club uh, where Johnny, uh, where uh, where Rivers died on the, the Viper Room. The yeah, Viper Room. Viper, yeah. You were doing a gig there, and I've seen you kind of grow over the years. Yeah. So you know, I know you and. Um, and then, like, Mike D from the Beastie Boys, you know, I, he, I saw him this weekend, and we used to really hang on a lot. And, you know, we when I do gigs, then we go on afterwards. And and there's people like that. And I, like, you know, I, I work with Nick Cave now, so, like, we have a good relationship where the guys from Sigur Rose or, you know, I have a good relationship with them. But sometimes I have good relationships with people, and other times, like, people don't know who I am or, you know, they it, there's not, like, people used to sleep on the floor in my apartment on St. George, like Henry Rollins and... Dr. John used to sleep in my, you know, my bed and the, the gruesomes, I used to like, you mm-hmm. know, feed them and stuff like that. So <laughs> I think that, you know, when you're, when you're growing up with bands, there's that closest to them. And, um, and there's, there's somewhat like that now too. But um, you, I find like as the business gets bigger and bigger, there's a separation. There's there. a bit of a separation. Sure. There's not necessarily, you know, the, the time closest. to connect or even the, the mechanism. Yeah. Right, right. So, so it's nice that, you know, I see certain musicians play here, and uh, they give me a big hug, and everything's yeah. really good, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, there's also I I appreciate the brotherhood of, of this business because there's to me it's also the managers too, and some of the people associated. Like there's this guy John Silva, he manages um, you know Beck and the Foos and sure. all these really great bands, Queens of Stone Age. And um, you know, when I first came to move to Toronto, he said, "Okay, come to my house, and I'll make you pasta." And uh, when I if I've got a, an issue, I can go to his office and he'll clear everything and I'll sit down with him. We'll talk about stuff. And I know his, his, his kids, he knows my kids. And so it's easy for me to get shows that way from him and work with him. So I appreciate that. I really love that. And I think that my thing in this business is like, you've got to treat people really, really nicely. There's like, there's no other way of doing business. Like so many people in this business are like just so, uh, either assholes or mean or whatever you want to call it. Or, you know, my job is to crush the next person. And my, my, 
my philosophy is, is a different philosophy. My philosophy is like, just treat people really, really good. Make sure everybody's happy. They're getting what they need. And then, uh, and then hopefully it works out for me. And I think it does. Thanks so much for your time, That's man. Awesome. That was a beautiful thing. Are we, are we going? We're rolling. This is awesome. Welcome back on the pod. Thank you so much. I'm so <laughs> excited to be here. I can't tell you. Um, how you been? How's your weekend going? It's great. Um, this is day one of weekend two at Coachella. Um, I got to see the Arkells. Have oh, you heard of them? I might have heard of them. <laughs> um, they were incredible. We got to stand side stage, which is always so exciting. Yeah. And I don't think that will ever get old. You I know, know, right? Yeah, people act like that's a normal thing. Old it's hat. not. Yeah, it's not at all. It's so exciting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I got to perform with Banks and Steels today. It was a lot of fun. I got to sing the part in the song. It's uh, a song called Wild Season, and uh, it's Florence the Machine, her uh -huh. part. Uh, so it was a lot to live up to. I hope I did it justice, uh, but it was very fun. Max, you saw it. He, no, actually, I don't I did, think he did, I did, I did I didn't but he it. could oh. lie right now yeah. to help me. It, it was, was great. Amazing. Okay, great. But <laughs> I will say, I saw your set last weekend, and it was my favorite set of the whole weekend. He what? did. That's what he said. So we have like a group chat, and, no. and literally he was raving. Yeah. That is so sweet. And there was a lot of obviously amazing shit that I got to see last weekend between Gaga and Kendrick, and I saw Banks, and she was amazing. Everybody had their, like has the thing about them that makes them special, but the thing that hit me hardest the whole weekend was your set, because what? you're so... Earnest, and I Aww. love an earnest performer. Like you really care, and I, I never. Obviously, I've seen the videos and I've seen the TV stuff, but in person, it's like it transcends in a whole other Aww. way. So, favorite Thank thing of the weekend. Thank you so much. I tried smiling. Yeah, at you're you. annoyingly like a real singer. There's like fake singers like me, and then <laughs> oh, come and on. then you, and then you're like actually hitting every note Aww. and like with a full gut range. I don't know. Thank you. That's yeah. really sweet. That was so much fun. I mean, I. Definitely, like, there were a few moments, and I'm probably going to do this tomorrow. I just want to, like, forewarn that I kind of laughed. <laughs> you know, like, these, like, weird moments where I was, like, laughing a little because I just couldn't really believe that I was there. I mean, a year ago, I was performing in L.A. to, you know, four people that were checking their phones. Yeah. You know, so it's just so surreal. And I've seen people on stage laugh before, and I've always thought, oh, you're just cocky, you know? But it's not that. It's disbelief. Yeah. You it's know? Like so incredulous. It's like a laugh of joy. Like, you can't believe exactly. uh, the exactly. situation you found yourself in. I saw in. Uh, Chance the Rapper did that on SNL. He was laughing yeah. during He's same drugs. He's got the best drugs. smile. He has the best smile. He has, he has a good time. Like, yes. I, I don't... When I see people like him do that, I don't think he's been cocky. I just think he's like yes. enjoying the moment. If he hits a, like a weird bum note or screw, or screws it up somehow, yes. he's like, "Hey, we're, I'm just rock and roll. Who cares?" Totally, you know? I love that, and I I always try and have that authenticity on stage, um, and that transparency. Uh, so to hear that you enjoyed it means a lot to me. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that you know last year playing to four people looking at their phone. Explain how you got from there to the stage at Coachella. I have no idea. <laughs> um, that's a great question. I mean, it's a, it's a ton of different things combined. You know, it's a mix of a great team. I mean, I think that's one of the first ones. I mean, I'm sitting next to my sister here. Shout who, out to Kate. Shout out to Kate. She's dancing. Well, by the way, I just want to yes. know, Kate, you probably see her in the crowd, but we did not. Kate rages in the front row. <laughs> she like does. She's not standing sad. She's in the pit. Yes. Like losing her shit. Yeah. During BB's performance. Yes. And and like Molly, who Mike D in our band, his wife, who is now like part of the crew yes. and best friends with you yes. guys. She was like, 
it was the best just watching Kate. Like, almost more entertaining than you. I, I 100% agree because I get to see her. But you really wouldn't think she runs my entire company. Yeah. Um, when you see that, you're like, oh, like it's, it's a sweet fan, you know. Oh, what's going on? No, she literally runs everything. Um, so it's, it's a mix of a ton of different things. It's also stars aligning. It's... Um, Amazing moments, amazing people, and uh, I'm just so thankful for it all. I'm just taking it all in. Yeah, I remember, it's funny. After our interview, I don't know how long ago that was. When we were in Toronto. That was the most honest interview I've ever, probably still have ever given. It was fantastic. So I'm a little nervous people right now that <laughs> I'm going to be really honest. Well, I remember that day, I think you were playing the Rivoli, like just kind of like a little show. I yes. don't know if it was like label and sort of fans in Toronto. And mm-hmm. so I, I popped over. It was like 3 o'clock. And Which I can't believe you came. Oh, I mean, I people gonna say they're going to come. Yeah. But the fact that you came meant so much to me. Yeah, I came over. I had like a 3, 3 p.m. Uh, vodka soda. I thought okay. I'd take it in. You were great. Yeah. And Kate Alcoholism. Was, Kate was boogieing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I have a problem. Yeah. Uh, seriously. Uh, I'm scared. Please help me. <laughs> um, yeah. But Mike's wife, Danica, is listening to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> She's the only one not laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. She's like a Marge, like, homie. Oh, yeah, exactly. Start crying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but so, you, you, like you said, it, it's like getting here. Like, so talk about your journey from then to here. How does he even something like Coachella happen? Is that like, is that like sort of a function of super hard work? Is it knowing the right people? I don't know. I'm really lucky. I have an amazing agent as well. Um, We're lucky that we work with Paradigm um, and they hustle for us. And I think you really have to be surrounded by people that aren't yes men, but they believe in you. Um, I think there is a medium uh, and I, I hope that that's what I'm surrounded by because, you know, I have people that are really honest around me. Um, but they also believe in me, which, uh, you know, sometimes leads to something like Coachella happening. Well, here's a question, because, like, you are very, you're striking me as a really good worker in that you are here doing press. I'm sure when you're on tour, you're doing, like, the radio butt kiss in every city. Oh, gosh. When you're kissing the butt. Uh, No. Listen, I say that as someone who tries to do that as well myself. (laughs) So I, and, but I feel like, the product becomes sort of undeniable because they'll, they'll hear the song and they're like, oh, I, the song's cool and I like that. It's, a bit of, it's an earworm. But then, oh, and then she came into the studio and then like did an acoustic version. Like I know that happened at Indie 88 and people's like minds were blown. You're talking about the value of that. The value of those and, connections. Like, and then like is there, has, because to me, like observing your rise, especially in the States, is like, it feels like it's probably a result of all those little things together. Would you say that's accurate? Like in terms of like, do you, do you see uh, the, the fruits of your labor paying off after you've been to, I don't know, Houston and, like, made a connection with people Well, yeah, I mean, you kind of hope for your for that part of you that had to wake up at 4 a.m. and belt out a song, uh, you know, to a radio station. You hope that that work, you know, pays off. Um, it feels so weird calling it work. Um, but uh, I, I hope that all those things combined really make a difference. Um, and the thing is, I wouldn't be here without any of them. You know, that radio play, you know, it really doesn't feel like butt kissing only because, by the way, I love that. It, <laughs> see, only only with you. Like, why am I saying butt kissing? I've never actually said that in my life. We, we, we get the real honesty. Good. No, it didn't feel good as I said it. But I really don't see it that way. You know, I see it as like, first of all, meeting really cool people. And second of all, um, a part of this, you know, I wouldn't be here without that radio play and without those people hustling for me. Makes sense. I, you mentioned uh, a bit ago sort of, you know, the relationship you have with your agent and then all these people around you that help sort of create all this thing. Have you ever had like a situation? Because obviously, you know, you're the boss, Applesauce. This is this is your vision, right? This is your art. 
Have you ever come across somebody that you maybe wasn't right for everything you had going forward and had to maybe expel them from your orbit? Oh my gosh, I mean, I, I was in LA for five years um, before I got discovered, quote unquote, in a random bar that I was doing at a songwriter's round. So as you can imagine, there were a lot of people that uh, I had to, you know, weed out uh, in order to find the right people and the right team. I mean, you know the minute you meet someone, whether it's right or not. But I would say, uh, and I hope it remains this way, that the most experience I have of working with the wrong amount of people and the wrong people was during that time of struggling mm. in L.A. But that being said, I mean, this first year has been really crazy. I mean, the first couple months, I definitely saw different sides to people that I had never seen before. Um, I think uh, for some reason, when you're played on the radio, it shows a very different side to people. Um, and I don't know why, but uh, yeah. Okay. You have the coolest style. How do you do your hair? Oh my gosh, thank the, and you. And actually, that's the question uh, is on behalf of our manager, Ashley, who you know, who she's like, I need to know how she does her braid things. <laughs> oh my how, gosh, how, well, thank like, you so much. Do you have much. a style guru? Is it just the two of you well, guys I talking about it? I feel as though you're only bringing this up because you want me to mention at Kate Superstar, who happens to be my sister, who is <laughs> sitting here. And yes, she does my hair as well. Oh, um, wow. As I told you, she runs the entire thing. Um, so that means with a big she, old smile on her face. With a big old smile, so she talks to the label. She um, helps with creative. She also does my hair in the morning, uh, and yeah, that is how the braids have come about. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, she could totally do it for you. I can um, grow it out a little bit. Yeah. Well, that'd be so cool if tomorrow I, I had Bishop Briggs braids. Yes. At the show. <laughs> <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> Um, this is Shane. He's our pop culture aficionado. He's Last question because it's yeah. going to get loud. It's going to get okay. really loud. Do you think Coachella's cool? Do I think Coachella's cool? cool? Okay, well, I just want you to hear this. This is the bass happening. The crowd is going crazy. This is what makes Coachella so cool, these little moments. It's the moment to explore yourself as a creative and be at a place where people are genuinely there just to appreciate and enjoy music, which is super rare to find. Yeah, it was just a yes or no question. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Great. Welcome to The Dessert, where our friend and pop culture aficionado Shane Cunningham comes on. Shaney boy, it's just me and you today. No Max. He's on the road. I know. It's always kind of weird. Having less of an audience means less uh, fake laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> that was a real Thank laugh. Thank you, Mikey. Yeah. <laughs> but I... Uh, yeah, I wasn't going to mention this today, but uh, it is my birthday. And I know. Happy birthday. I didn't know if I could you. mention it. I know. I've, well, you asked, should, should, should you mention it? I said no, but then... Um, a guy handles our social media account, Dan Crothers. Yeah. He does it excellent. And he put up a picture of me kind of looking like a goof walking from our, <laughs> our desert shoot for a top man. And he's like, all Shane wants for his birthday is for this to get uh, a thousand retweets. <laughs> Guess how many retweets it has right now? I don't know. It has 526. Holy shit. That was kind of a cool thing to see that that many people... Give a shit. We should actually take this opportunity to let people know that uh, we're nominated for like a, an MMVA for fave creator. Uh, that's, that's insane, isn't it? Imagine we won that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy? I, I, not me, like, but I could, me, yeah, I could win two MMVAs this year. Imagine that. <laughs> this is your year, man. I, well, the way you can vote if you're a fan of the pod uh, is like, I guess anything in socials, if you hashtag Mike for MMVA, uh, we get a vote. So, Send the votes because I think just to hear 
Shane make a speech would be hilarious. Uh, I don't know how it works. I don't know if they televise the award, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, me too. I got to start planning that speech. I actually have a story about speeches in this. Because even if we lose, losing is funny in its own right. Of course. And that's the most likely outcome. Of course. Like, what, what are we going to beat Just Rain or something like that? <laughs> Maybe take that part out. I don't even want Just Rain to know that he's in the running for this. Um, but I'll, I'll, another good piece of news, if anyone listened to last week's, I had kind of a, uh, I don't want to say troll, but a, a person <laughs> upset with me who removed the comment off social media. I noticed the comment's gone. Do you think it was the apology or the fact that you're openly talking about the comment? Mm, well, she she couldn't have heard the pod because it, the comment got removed the day after we recorded the pod, ah. but the pod didn't go up for like four days after that. So here's the truth. I sent her an Instagram message, and then you know how you can see on Instagram if the person's seen it? If they've read it, like a they, DM. They weren't reading it. So I'm like pacing, I'm like, and I'm checking, I'm obsessed with like Instagram or whatever. Like, I'm just like, you know, social media is all up in my face lately. So I'm, <laughs> so then I'm like, shit, she's not, she's never, maybe she doesn't look at Instagram messages and we're not friends. So maybe it goes into like some secret folder where it's like, you got to access it. I don't know how the internet works, but uh, luckily on her Instagram, she has an email. So I, I craft an email and sent it to her. And I think that's what did it. Oh, the, the, your email was what made Yeah, I sent it to you, too, just to, to get your gauge on it, Right, the email I sent. But anyway, it got deleted. I hope everyone has for, forgiven me or whatever, and is cool. There, Jackson understands kind of that it was a character. That was my main worry, that people would think it was real, and then hopefully by now people know it wasn't. Well, I, more so than just people. How did your wife feel about it now? She's totally over it, and, you know, she, like – if all things being fair and, you know, equal rights, she makes a lot of I want to sleep with Shamar Moore jokes. <laughs> and, you know, that's a little lecherous in my book. But, uh, but I'm, I'm cool with it. And I think we've reached an understanding. All's well that ends well. Moving on. That was the longest opening of all time. Um, I just got back from uh, Can- Cancun. Woo. Looking tan. I am. I'm like got a crazy tan right now, actually. Uh and the reason I was in Cancun was for my friend, Sean Menard. And you're good at describing things. How would you describe Sean Menard? Sean is a guy that's literally been hanging around my house since he was like nine. Because him and my brother were like best little buddies uh, and still great friends. And Menard is a very uh, like a go-getter, hustler sort of guy. Kind of He runs his own production company. But he's like, he'll get in there. He gets things done, you know? Would that be the best way to describe him? Yeah, I was just, sorry, I was smiling because I was going to make a joke that this, for the last three years, he's been hanging at your house and he's a nine-year-old. Then I was like, a pedophilia joke's going to get me in trouble. So that's why I was smiling. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Menard is the ultimate um, go-getter guy. We used to call him the weasel. Yeah. Because you know when you're young and a guy's like really after stuff and he's kind of like cutting corners, you kind of like, like, oh, that, that little weasel. And, you know, he'd always end up, things would always work out for him and he'd, He'd kind of get into a college in kind of like a sneaky, clever way. Yeah, yeah. And he, so he's kind of like an Eddie Haskell character. But now in his adulthood, he's used that energy to really succeed. And, you know, he's making a, uh, like, he, he made a, a doc called Fight Mom. Yeah. That got, got the attention of LeBron James. I went to the premiere. It was a great doc. Yeah. And so now he's, like, actually in the big leagues. He's, like, one of my most successful, if not my most successful friends. So... 
he had a plan to, in the pure Menard fashion, to surprise his girlfriend with an engagement. So he had called uh, 20, he called a bunch of people, but 20 people were able to free their schedules and jet down to Cancun for the surprise engagement. Jet down engagement. to Cancun. That's where they first met five years ago. He had uh, walkie talkies and code words. Are we sure he's still not nine? <laughs> walkie talkies. There was and Legos involved, uh, but he he's like, oh, I got to give you some champagne to take over, and a walkie talkie. I'm like, okay, like uh, I'm like, why do you need me to carry the champagne? He's like, oh, they only let you take over uh, so many liters per per bag, and he wanted to take over eight. In my mind, I'm thinking. You know, just buy the, just buy the champagne in Mexico or whatever. Just yeah, like get the hotel stuff. So I, but I don't think much of it. And then he he gives me this duffel bag filled with champagne. It's like super heavy bag. I look inside and the champagne is like this very very fancy looking champagne. But I don't know anything about champagne and I don't really think anything of it. Anyway, I go to work and there's there's really only one guy I talk to at work and cause he's very like, uh, I have to be careful how I describe this guy. Cause he's always going to listen. <laughs> he's very intense. Yeah. He's very nice. He's very, very complimentary. Nice. He'll go like, he's like, he's like, Shane, you're going to be the CEO one day. I'm like me, he's like, my company. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right. But then, you know, you, the next week, he's like, you see him talking to like the janitor, and he's like, "You're gonna be the CEO." <laughs> so you can't really. But he's he's very nice guy. So out of any, like, I'm very antisocial at work. But do we not he, talk at work? We don't talk at work because we do the pod. That's right. We're always saving. And it. we can, a few times we have tried to talk at work, and it's like, why are we talking about this? This is a pod conversation. Yeah. So we just don't talk at work. But Sam is a guy, and his dream was to kind of be talked about on the pod. Hey. But, but then I think he listened to a couple pods, and then he was like, don't, don't, don't talk about me. Because I think he heard some that were bad or something. <laughs> Point like, is. Like in what sense? Like in the way we talk about people? I guess. He got really paranoid. He was so gung-ho about it and then was like, don't talk about me. So there was little parameters that I have to be very careful. All right. Are we, co- are we okay now? I don't have to cut any of this? We're going to have to send it to him. I will say this. <laughs> this man, Sam, appreciates the finer things in life. Ah, got you. Okay. So this is, we're back to the champagne now. You smuggling yes. out eight bottles. He comes over to me and he's like, oh, what, what do you got there? I was like, look for yourself. He's like, holy, holy shit. I'm like, what? He's like, this is like baller champagne. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, it, it's expensive. And I'm like, okay. So I Google it. And some of these bottles are $700. What? Of champagne. And there's, there's eight bottles being taken over to Mexico. And I've got two of them. All of a sudden, this is goes from a normal, like, fun <laughs> smuggle job of, like, this worthless champagne to, like, I've got to, like, bring extra clothes to pack it and make sure it's safe. And I'm very paranoid that, you know, shit's going to get smashed or something. Yeah, you got to put it in the carry-on. You can't let that fly uh, underneath the plane, you know? Exactly. But uh, I got way off track. Point is, Bernard's a baller. The champagne <laughs> made it there safe. <laughs> and the engagement part... Uh, went off without a hitch. I filmed it. I Amazing. filmed him doing the surprise thing. She was surprised, genuinely? Yeah. I don't even think she said yes. She was just like, okay. Like, she was <laughs> in shock. Like, because she, she wanted Sean to kind of uh, give her a little bit of notice, 
but that kind of Menard is really like a surprising, like Menard will just surprise you with, with something very elaborate. It worked out perfectly. It was very romantic, all of that. But I, it was kind of a weird trip for me because I didn't know anyone on this trip. Like, although I'm one of Menard's close friends, Menard's one of those people he's friends with everybody from all walks of life. So just to tell you the type of people that were here, there was a, an MMA fighter, uh, like a, a woman. MMA was it fighter. Fight Mom? Karate Hottie, yes. So, karate hottie. So she's literally like famous. She's one of the top six fighters in the world. Cool. So and then her husband is like a uh, a stunt man. He's like an actor too. Like he's been in episodes of Breaking Bad. Pretty. <laughs> she's married to Brian Cranston. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty fit people. Uh, and then there's like fitness models who've literally been on the covers of magazine. Other actors, elite athletes. There's like the uh, one of the guys is like a big wig bank dude in Singapore. So. Needless to say, I was like the most out of shape, least oozing of charisma person <laughs> there. So I'm like, how is this trip going to work? I start getting a little bit nervous. There's a party starter uh, guy from China, I think. No, he's Menard's fiance's friend from Minnesota, but he is Chinese. And he's very flamboyant. And I'm like, uh-oh, he's going to make me uncomfortable at this dinner. I know it. So we're eating the dinner. And he starts being like, I'm gay, everybody. And he's I'm like, oh, no. He's going to want to do speeches. I just know it. And I'm not prepared. And I, I'm okay with the speech if you give me some time. Yeah. But I'm not ready for an impromptu speech. So I'm getting, like, low on my chair. <laughs> he's like, let's start with you. And he, he just points at me. And I'm, like, humiliated. I'm like, why did he? Maybe if I was last, I could do it. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, and I hope everyone doesn't do it. But at, my wife goes, I'll do the speech for Shane. I'm like, oh, God, I'm even more humiliated. So she does a perfect speech for me. But I'm like, uh-oh. Hopefully other people are like me. But I'm with, like, the charisma crew, confidence. Everyone's on, like, creatine and, like, confidence stuff or whatever. <laughs> everyone, go, everyone gives a perfect speech around the table. There was a, a Chinese guy who did not know how to speak English, and he gave a speech. I'm not even joking. He, like, ha, like English was, like, probably his third language, and he gave this beautiful speech. <laughs> there was a girl who didn't know how to speak English at all, and I think she said a few words. <laughs> and then I'm just humiliated. <laughs> and I'm, I know Menard's going to confront me about it later. And I'm just, like, guzzling. And I'm still trying to think of something, because I know Menard's going to be like, oh, what's the deal? And by the way, Menard sent bios out before the trip. You did you did this exact same thing. It's yeah. a very time-consuming, nice thing. Gave everyone a bio, because not everyone knew each other. It's a good way for everyone that's going for my bachelor trip. It was a good way for, like, some people didn't know some people. You get a little biography. You get to know a person before you meet them. Yeah, and it was like, Shane's this hilarious guy who's... <laughs> This is what Menard wrote about Yeah, you? Shane's this hilarious man who, like, did all these skits. And growing up, we were, like, the tag team. You know, but it puts a lot of pressure on me. And I know these bios are out there, and people have seen them. So to not give a speech really amplified it and really made me seem like a fraud. <laughs> so I'm kind of just drunk sitting there, and I see Menard coming over. I'm, like, trying to, like, turn away from him, like, act like I'm talking to one of the other people. He's like, Shane. It's like, uh kind of didn't give a speech there what's the deal i'm like you know i'm like i had something it was just uh, i was too emotional he's like really he's like well what is it say it now 
And I wasn't expecting any follow-up questions, you know. I just thought <laughs> it, that was going to be that. But stupidly, and I get, I'm, I'm like, okay, I started making up a speech. I'm like, I was going to say, uh, you know, uh, when, when I, when, when, you know, when we were growing up, I thought I was uh, the funny, you know, spontaneous. And then I'm like, shit, I don't know where I'm going with all. So I just start kind of crying. <laughs> and Menard's like, it's okay, buddy. It's like, it's like Shane Boy's getting emotional over it. <laughs> and it worked. You I just cried your way out of it. I just got out of it perfectly. <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us at Mike Much on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks so much to Jenna Gregory for doing the amazing doodles. Uh, you can follow her at jennasdoodles.com. Coachella was amazing. Thanks so much to Top Man for outfitting us all weekend. The Mike Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.